Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, everybody. Welcome to In All Seriousness, episode number four. The subject today is blockchain. First, I need to apologize. We haven't done an episode since October. It's been a while. So we've been pretty lax on this. That was our universal basic income episode. But we've got new digs here, so we're going to try and get this thing back on track. And before we jump in and introduce our panel, there is the 10th annual Zeitgeist Day happening in Frankfurt, Germany on April 7th, 10 years in, which is amazing in and of itself. Wow. Uh, anyone that's in Europe and wants to come to the event, please do so. The tickets are available. You can go to the zeitgeistmovement.com or zdaglobal.org. And to my left is Miss Danette Wallace, an old friend who happens, happens to be working in the blockchain world now yes. in, the, in one of the many startups, I imagine. Yes, it uh, is Go a ahead startup. and describe briefly what you're doing. Okay. I work for Infinity Blockchain Labs, and we're based out of Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. Uh, Vietnam is surprisingly developing a lot of uh, programmers every year from the university there, and we train them to be blockchain developers. Excellent. And we have a research and development facility there with 100 blockchain uh, developers. Any particular nuance of blockchain you're focusing on? Uh, yeah, we, we definitely we do Ethereum as, okay. as our basis, and we do apps. We don't do cryptocurrency, but we it's keep like it to apps. Decentralized apps. Decentralized apps, Beautiful. Yes. And to her left is Brigida Santos, mm -hmm. who Hi. is a journalist. Hey, thank you for coming. And we've known each other for a while. We work with the Jesse Ventura Show. Yeah. And uh, go ahead and introduce your, your general uh, history and so on. All right. Well, my name is Brigida Santos. I am a reporter. I work at RT America. I met Peter back in 2015, and I actually believe that I introduced you to Bitcoin at that time. Maybe so. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a while ago, and here we are. You're the purveyor of it all. <laughs> And to her left is Miss Summer Perry. Summer, hello. Hello. Glad to be back. I missed you guys last time. That Universal Basic Income podcast was really good. Yeah. And thank you for being here. Mm -hmm. She's one of our regulars on the panel roundtable, along with Mr. Michael Jordan. How you doing there, sir? I'm fantastic. How you doing? Doing good. Uh, doing good. So a little history might be in order here. There's a, a sub-organization. Sub-organization? I'm already having a stroke. I'm already <laughs> 10 minutes into this. The, the cypherpunks or the cypher anarchists or the uh, crypto anarchists, there's an overflowing kind of context here with people that have been around for decades that have talked about the possibility of peer-to-peer -peer revolution, avoiding any type of government oversight or intervention or censorship. Usually it's been in regard to government, but it's also been inching into corporate control where people are getting clearly opposed to the monopolies that are inherent to corporate dominance in the world today, as has always been the case with capitalism to some degree or another. So now we have a kind of a new phenomenon with blockchain that allows literally the, po the possibility of having a peer-to-peer -peer open source environment, whether it's ranging from apps to even the hardware technology and cell phones, where it's a possibility you could use this technology to even link cell phones without any networks, which I have some materials on that, to pretty much everything you can think of that deals with decentralized autonomous organizations. And it's hard to even know where to begin, but uh, you know, I think a definition of blockchain might be in order. If anyone here wants to go ahead for the people that have been living under a rock out there that would like to hear a definition, I'm going to I'm going to put Jordan on the oh, spot here. That's why I'm pulling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, as most of us, you would know. as most of us know, you know, blockchain uh, has different levels uh -huh. of complexity interpretation, but essentially it's a database of information. It's a distributed ledger. Yep. Yeah. And it's in instead of one uh, centralized organization controlling the ledger, it's decentralized across the whole uh, global network. Which enables something that's very hard to do without centralized authority, trust. It enables a kind of trust 
amongst peer-to-peer people, smart contracts, and the whole litany of things that are now possible. Of course, cryptocurrency is the most famous point of the blockchain application. And I think anyone, you know, everyone's been been hearing about this for years now. Uh, it serves as a kind of a stepping stone. I personally think uh, currencies and markets have on their way out, but there are certain stepping stones that will eventually occur to make things a little bit better within the context of the the problems inherent to the market and currencies and the financial system. So I, I've always, you know, just to throw it out there, I think there's a big hype around the cryptocurrency world, which is necessarily good, but I think it distracts a little bit sometimes from the blockchain potential that's also out there. What do you think, Danette? Yeah, I, I agree. And I also see it going into the same framework as previous monetary systems in that they're congregating around you know the speculation of it as opposed to what it was really created for right you know and wanting to make money off of it which is fine it's just that i think it's distracting from the main reason it was created yeah some would argue that the cryptocurrency phenomenon is kind of hindering its its development its application because there's so much speculation we're in that we're in that childlike place where people are speculating and they're trying to use it just for investment purposes when really the beauty is the application itself. So you have to stabilize the currency. You have to get people to actually use it for exchange outside of the fiat system. Then you get a revolution. I think what's kind of happened is we've been given this brand new shiny toolbox with new tools in it that nobody knows how to, they don't know what they're for. Right. Um, so we've taken our frame of reference from the financial world and we've developed the first application, which is the Bitcoin application. Yeah. So once we figure out that we don't need money anymore, then the um, the ingenuity <laughs> of of what can we we can really do with these tools is going to come to light. Well, let's bring in that subject in terms of a, a, a term that I'm really surprised I don't hear more so around out there in the in the blockchain developers world, and that's cybernetics. Cybernetics is an old concept, really. It's in the 1950s. A man named uh, Norbert Wiener, if I remember correctly, uh, wrote a book on the subject. It's about the self-contained nature of systems and a really good system, a viable system by definition is one that is most self-contained, autonomous, you know. Of course, obviously there's a network of reality and even the human body with the homeostasis, if you get a fever, it sparks certain chemical reactions to try and thwart that fever and so on. So there's a natural built-in system that is very autonomous, but it's also connected to the world around you. And the theory of cybernetics ultimately comes down to having viable systems that are as self-contained as possible connected to other viable systems within a natural hierarchy. And that's really what life is, if you think about it, from the individual organism to, to the organ itself, to the atmosphere, to the planet, to the cosmos. It's a series of viable systems that are as self-contained as they can be based on the, the efficiency of evolution but they're still interconnected and symbiotic and synergetic. And that notion of, of uh, cybernetics has never really been realized on the economic level or the political level, probably up until the past 20, 30 years, when advance, you know, advancements in digital technology and communications have come to be what they are, but still centralized. So that's been unfortunate. And this is something within the movement we've talked about. People are terrified of centralization with good reason. But now there's this new potential, this new infrastructure of blockchain to bring in a whole different architecture exactly and it's expanding out to or organizational structures with the with DAOs, daos right you know decentralized autonomous organizations exactly. and so i believe that once that starts to catch on and more organizations start to uh, use that model as how their, their structure will definitely see what you're talking about these networks yeah 
among networks. Well, like Virginia, yeah. you sent me the the information on the uh, the My people vote. that are trying to do the voting things. Yes, they're trying mm. to create direct democracy, which is something that really defines true democracy. Very exciting. And this is something that I am very very passionate and excited about. So there's a company called My Vote, and they are a blockchain based platform that everybody can vote on. And for the first time in history, it really is creating a direct democracy, which we've never seen because of corruption, cronyism, money in politics, et cetera, et cetera. And so this platform is now being rolled out in Australia. I believe in 2018 in Iowa, there will be candidates running on this platform. It is not a party. It is simply a platform, an application built on top of the Ethereum blockchain using Horizon State technology, which is essentially what... Uh, allows this to work, but basically people can vote directly on policies in real time, and this platform aggregates information on every policy through AI. Mm. So in every language, it'll pull up what this means for everybody. And it takes, people can run as candidates on the platform, but essentially they're not a politician, they're an administrator. So they have to carry out the will of the people. So if 60% majority is what is required, uh, for a bill to pass, that's what they require mm -hmm. under uh, my vote, it'll pass. And the administrator will be fined heavily if they do not follow the will of the people. So it's it's really interesting, awesome, mm -hmm. really exciting. And I think uh, decentralized governance is uh, the most exciting thing about blockchain. Absolutely. Uh, that, you know, we look at, again, we just mentioned earlier before we started this, this podcast, they're censoring uh, across the board on social media for reasons that are really quite dubious, you know. So you have claims that the Russian government came in with 13 hackers, and I'm just imagining two kids and 14-year-old like kids in the basement of some, <laughs> some, some house somewhere in Moscow, uh, bored stupid, and suddenly they're ready to change the entire architecture effectively of social media in, in a way to censor the apparent state-run enterprises or state-fed media as though the United States doesn't have its own uh, clear propaganda built into its own systems as well. You don't see them censoring that. So point being is that you have this dispute of what what is considered real news and what is considered fake news. The fact that that word even exists now as a phrase is just <laughs> unbelievable. And you should have faith in society that if you know you aggregate information, say like a completely open source blockchain decentralized social media network, that what people actually care about will rise to the top without the need of algorithms to decide. I think that we should have enough faith in the general wisdom of the crowd to know what's what's important and what isn't right i mean if we don't have faith in that then i'm not sure if we can have faith in any kind of democracy so your point being is you know these kind of decentralized applications can really just alter the playing field across the board uh, especially when it comes to news and media which is now being clamped down upon in, in ways that are quite orwellian to say the least mm -hmm. um in terms of you know direct disturbances, the banking system right now is the most disruptive. So we, and Jordan, you've been following this quite a bit. What is your feeling in terms of what the next stage is for, for cryptocurrency, and most importantly, the evolution out of the, the corruption and the, the hegemony of the financial system? Well, about half a year ago, I I quit my job to kind of pursue the whole investment thing in it, um, and I had friends approaching me saying, "Hey." Um, I want to do what you're doing, but I don't want to do it. Can you do it for me and I'll, you know, pay you a percentage or whatever? And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. But then uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Joe, uh, approached me, who's already a wealth manager, and uh, he said, hey, we need to start a business doing what you're doing. So we got involved doing it, and what we came to find was that 
the um, the loopholes, or not the loopholes, the regulatory uh, hoops that we have to jump through just to make this happen. Because what we're having to deal with is the traditional regulations that are trying to be imposed on this brand new technology. And it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ended up abandoning that, uh, that um, project to pivot over to a edu- educational platform to show people what, uh, what this cryptocurrency is all about. And not only what cryptocurrency is all about, but what the blockchain is about and what other kind of applications. So now our focus is to aggregate all of the best material out there and show people the, the, um, the possibilities that this new technology can do. Um, as far as the, the banks are, they're, you know, they're trying to build their own uh, centralized blockchains, right. which mm-hmm. defeats the whole entire purpose. Sure. Um, even when you read the white paper, the first words on it is it's a peer-to-peer currency. So that means you know, all these exchanges, these uh, cryptocurrency exchanges that are out there, those are centralized organizations. You know, they're they're traditional things trying to fit into this new decentralized world, and it doesn't work. So, next thing you're going to see is decentralized exchanges, which um, um, I think the government is going to have a, uh, a very big problem with because they want the control. They want to they they want to see everything. They want to put their you know their thumbs on everybody. Um, so as this gets more anonymous and we have more privacy and everything is more distributed and you can't you can't shut this down. That's that's the main thing. It's, sure. Yeah, it's a superior technology and the genie's out of the bottle. They can't put it back now. Yeah. And if the banks want to make their own crappier version of the technology right. that's less secure and less peer-to-peer, ultimately it's going to fail. And the reason we have these third-party exchanges right now is because people still want to cash out their crypto into fiat currency. And I think there will come a point when we will no longer need fiat currency. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we will no longer need third-party exchanges that uh, cross into this crypto realm slash physical realm that we are now so familiar with. Yeah. And I can't wait for that day to come. Me too. (laughs) At that point, it definitely will. But the banks are scrambling. Um, We work with banks right now, and they're trying to ask us to do you know, private blockchains for them and stuff with the, with the apps. And we, we have an identity app, a virtual identity app that we've created because there is the need to know your customer sure. in a lot of interactions when someone wants to sign up for a new phone account or any kind of, and a bank account. And they're like, well, we need to know who these people are. Right. So we've created that. But it's um, even in this stage where we are with the technology, um, there are ways to make it work, but w- we all just sort of know that it is going to go to the truest form of peer-to-peer interaction at right. some point, especially when we don't need fiat currency. Right. And the more people are able to accept the cryptocurrency, then that will be the tipping point. Going back to the need yeah. for a mass incorporation, you know, as opposed to speculation, which I think eventually has to settle down, once again, to get people to really to, to start to use it and feel mm-hmm. confident with it and to step away from the fiat. In a way, you know, people have argued that the, the value of currency, cryptocurrency today is being driven by fiat currency because that's what's going inside of it. So it's going to take a leap of faith of some sort. Yeah. You know, you see this kind of being applied in Venezuela or other places where they're introducing new currencies to, to stop various problems such as, you know, oppression from the World Bank and IMF loans they don't want to take. So they're trying to re-energize their own economy by introducing 
a cryptocurrency which has no ba basis or backing because it's coming out of nowhere and that's of course the danger zone you know when you make it it's it's got to have some value to it that is extracted from current society not just the value of the white paper and so on. And it's got to be usable. A lot of these people right. are creating currencies, but there's no wallets. There's no way to exchange that currency into actual physical goods. Right. So that doesn't really help anybody. And it's also yeah. become kind of a sport, you know. Yeah. I mean, how many cryptocurrencies are out there now? Thousands. And now yeah, they're being thousands. used for fundraising, thousands. of course, too. So people are doing their their I coins just to tokens. basically make money off of selling basically shares, which goes in other territory, too. I noticed yes. um, media and people that are actually doing music are beginning to distribute slowly on the blockchain, which is a, a little experimental to me. I'm not entirely familiar with how that works. Maybe you guys have heard of this. That makes more sense, though, to do something like that. And apparently when people pay uh, via cryptocurrency on the blockchain, it's not that they're buying it. They're actually investing in it which I thought was particularly interesting, too. Do you I mean, mean the music, or do you mean the music tokens? Music, or the artist. Or the you... releasing, say, film or media on okay. the blockchain, and then basically people, when they purchase it, so to speak, they become owners of it in part. So it's, it becomes an investment in and of itself, too. That was, I think, a music, musical performer did that recently. I thought also, that was fascinating. Yeah, also for music, the entire industry could be revolutionized through the blockchain as well, because right now you have so many players involved in music, you have producers, you have writers, you have engineers, you have the artists themselves, writers. And the way it works now is the labels are supposed to divvy all of that up and keep the accounting, but they don't, people don't get their fair cut. And if you build something on a blockchain and use smart contracts to then unlock, you get X amount of streams on some service, every single person gets their cut. Right. And it also takes away the ability of people to duplicate. That is one of the biggest Hmm. Uh, things that I think is underreported when it comes to digital currency and blockchain technology, Bitcoin, is the fact that it solved the Byzantine general's problem of um, counterfeiting and copying. So if you had music and you secured it through a blockchain of some sort, music blockchain, uh, then people could not steal your music or your movies or your books or whatever creative endeavor you've done they'd have to actually pay for it right interesting it's yeah. the same yeah, way that good. you have the bitcoin you know they they figured out a way to send this bit of information from one place to another mm -hmm. and it can't be copied you can do the same thing with a piece of music yep. you know yeah. or yeah. whatever it, it might be anything yeah anything and the smart contract allows the artist to decide the length of time someone has it right mm -hmm. so they can say you can have it from august 1st to august 30th you know and just that's that's the contract Right. in itself so i imagine common piracy tactics would somehow find a way around all probably. of that once you <laughs> once you experience the music i'm sure someone could extract it and but uh but still and record it on yeah, their own right. yeah of right. course There's there are ways, ways around, around it, it but but I, yeah I, I can i think that's fascinating i was just noticing an article uh regarding online distribution video on demand and so on and decentralized blockchain apps being able to completely overcome major institutions like Netflix and so on, mm -hmm. which I thought was fantastic too. Uh, just the very idea of having these peer-to-peer -peer shared networks that eliminates any kind of centralization. I mentioned earlier the, the, the phone technology, and I brought an article uh, from 2007, which I thought... Interesting. It's called a company called TerraNet, and in Africa... They were trying to figure out a way to, to get people to have cell phone access. They developed a technology that goes into existing phones, which allows it to send out a signal. And the more phones connected in the region, the more strong, excuse me, the stronger the signal becomes. MeshNet, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's just amazing to think that this type, of, this type of new reality could emerge where even computers 
could be sending signals out independently, creating the Internet as we know it in its own network. So I actually know somebody, Colin Cantrell from Nexus. He is working right now um, with his dad um, on a decentralized Internet. And yeah. it's basically a mesh network that will take away things like the Great Firewall of China and, and give access and democratize information. Yeah. You know, everybody can use this internet. Nobody's grid needs to be used. No government can own a grid. It's right. just going to be exactly what it's you no said. ISP <laughs> needed. Literally, yeah, ju it's just really cool. The device is the tool, and it's and that's just it's profound uh, <coughs> to think about the potential of what that that could actually lead to at a level of of human organization. I don't think anyone's ever even thought of. You know, in terms of literally, you become the the edifice of creation and the infrastructure. And the more people that share that, the stronger the infrastructure becomes. And faster. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it, there's a term ephemeralization that we've talked about by Buckminster Fuller a lot, because that's really what this is. Blockchain enables the reduction of what used to take lots of resources and manpower and tools, brings it into something that's completely coded and algorithmically contained uh, in the digital sphere. And throughout the whole of society, we see everything technologically getting smaller and smaller and smaller, so the idea might seem inconceivable that you could have an internet literally being run by every single person's independent computer. That seem, might seem really hard for people that are used to the giant servers and all the complexity, but it just seems right around the corner as as that exponential increase in efficiency continues. Yeah, absolutely. I met someone at an event recently who created a browser app, basically, that just by your browser being on, it it uses that network to create more computing power. Well, oh, yeah, we had that and issue when we, someone stole, excuse me, hacked into our, our Zeitgeist Movement site and started mining oh, no. cryptocurrency. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yes, that is interesting. Yeah, it happens, yeah. We, we used to be part, the movement used to be part of another uh, uh, sh uh, power sharing Point, processor. Yes. yes, exactly. Safety. Exactly. We, I don't think they're they're doing that anymore, but that was actually a lot of fun. Too. Yeah, that was yeah, fun. That was fun. Yeah. I donated my computer to be used yeah. for that. Right. My computer was always running really hot. <laughs> the only one I know of uh, besides that is is the big alien search one. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All these people have little alien systems now on their computers, <laughs> uh, which is cute. And as far as the problems associated with the blockchain, I, I noticed uh, there's some things that yeah. clearly, you know, like the latency issue, everyone's searching for real time, but there's a lot of processing time that goes into a blockchain computation. And of course, the computing costs, you know, you've seen the Icelandic reports and what, in China, you know, they have these huge, <laughs> massive servers and they're spending tens, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars uh, a month to pay for their electricity. And because of the dirty energy infrastructure there they can get away with it being cheaper so you know at some point the cost basis would get to you know too expensive to even mine one of these things of course that depends Unless we turn to solar right. yeah it's true uh, hopefully um i mean it but obviously well, it's a programming problem more yeah, than it is and they've come up with other options for that that's uh proof of work right you know you have to use mining but now it's proof of stake mm -hmm. and and especially ethereum uses that and has moved away from what Bitcoin blockchain did was um, so they've moved away from needing to use these mining uh, resources and in a in a way to create more of these crypto that in those platforms. Okay. So there's um, algorithmic answers. Sure, exactly. What well, has to be nice. since it's yeah. algorithmically defined. Yeah. But are you aware of anything that like I know Ethereum was a bit of an improvement I believe on the power processing. But is there anything else that's coming out? I read recently there was another. Uh, Another experimental, it was mm -hmm. called something Flash. I apologize, I don't remember. Lightning but, Network. Lightning, Lightning Network. Light, yeah. It was supposed to really increase the processing speed. Is this 
coming forward? Or? It, it is, and it's it's like Danette was talking about. It's a proof of stake kind of system, right? Where where the nodes already have the the predetermined amount of uh, Bitcoin, um, and so they're able to make the transaction without really being on the Bitcoin. That's my understanding, or yeah. not on the blockchain. Yeah. Um, that's my understanding as far as I know. Um, all, all these things that you're talking about, like the energy consumption, um, these are growing pains of the, the mm -hmm. blockchain. This is very similar to when they uh, came out with the, the typewriter. They, they made the QWERTY system, the layout, so it was as slow as possible so that the keys would not get jammed up. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, so now we do have another layout where you can type way faster where the, the main keys are on the home row. But nobody uses it because we're so used to the QWERTY system. So the, these transaction speeds are purposely slowed down so that the network can handle this. Sure. So uh, one, once the, the technology, uh, you know, matures, then we'll, we'll get past all of that energy consumption. Right. You're, you're already talking about, uh, like, projects like EOS. Um, they, they say that they can handle millions of transactions per second with zero transaction fees. Okay. So once that comes out June 1st, we'll uh, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, it seems and like just a matter of time. Yeah. yeah. And also with yeah. the way we're doing it now, using so much power, it could be a good motivator to transition us over to other alternative technologies like solar and wind, things like that. That's true. And more Another, demand. Um, it's too bad there's been so much demand out there anyway, how yeah. slow things have been. Another example of how these technologies encourage exponential growth, not only with the technology itself, but surrounding technologies that are... Right. Better and more efficient for everyone. Andreas Antonopoulos also addressed the energy problem um, by saying it really isn't an exorbitant amount of energy that's being used to do this. It's, it's, it's the uh, amount of energy that needs to be done to create a secure network that cannot be hacked into. Sure. If you use like Visa, for example the amount of energy that they use for your visa transaction most of those costs are are, are they're they're invisible uh it doesn't take into account the people driving to work spewing diesel all over the the city and then sitting in a building and and doing all their work all day and with the blockchain all of the costs are transparent that's why it looks like it costs way more per transaction than it does to swipe a visa card and i was reading that cooling servers is another issue too related right to it i know that the uh the cryptographic nature of it is dependent on having lots of nodes because that's how mm -hmm. it's secured is there any is, is it built into the programming to reduce the number of nodes because obviously the more computers you have processing the same algorithm the more energy is going to be used it's it's um moving towards having less nodes to agree yeah and that's what proof of stake does it says Good. okay instead of having everyone needing to agree and within the blockchain this has to trust that this is okay, and this says yes, yeah. and this says yes. This may say no, but maybe it's wrong. I'm it, sure it, it's, it's really... Um, you know, to say you need 1,000 computers versus 10,000 computers, at some point it doesn't need to have that much verification. Exactly. But, yeah. Exactly. Interesting. And AI will help with that a lot, too. <laughs> I can see that happening. Well, the <laughs> AI combination with blockchain seems mm -hmm. to be, you know, where it's at. Hand in hand connection. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really it's great. In fact, Singularity Net, which created that really realistic um, robot, Sophia, mm -hmm. with a decentralized brain, just partnered with Nexus again. Uh, and they're basically uh, creating a network where everybody can upload all of their AI technology 
so that everybody can share this sure. information and so AI can learn. But ultimately what they are doing that I think is so fantastic and amazing is they are trying to enforce that all AI functions and activities will be routed through a smart contract that has laws built into it, like mm. don't harm this human, et cetera, et cetera, to make sure that all AI follows rules yeah. that the general public says it should be following and so that AI cannot be in the hands of the five developers that are working on it right now. Interesting. Really yeah. cool. So kind of can, a, that would be great. You can imagine mm -hmm. AI learning from true democracy through mm -hmm, the blockchain. Exactly. Right. What's that going to do for us? Well, therein lies the, the regulatory element. You know, uh, the old phrase code is law has become more apparent now than ever because if you have algorithmic structures that deal with everything from the distribution of energy to corporate, excuse me, towards creativity in the sense of developing product and corporate style designs as what is it being accomplished by corporations or politics, the algorithm itself is really the governance apparatus. It's the, the trust goes into the into the design of the algorithm. And usually these are open source, you know, there are people that create these things, they release all of this stuff, but how do you get agreement on what that algorithm is going to be? That's something that I think isn't talked, that goes back to cybernetics. This is uh, people like Stafford, Stafford Beer, who's an amazing individual people should look up. Uh, they applied similar technologies in the 1970s in Chile called Project Cybersyn which people should look up as well. It never came to fruition because ANA was overthrown before the system could be put into place. But it was all about a top-level type of management run by algorithm that attempted to get a sense of the complexity, to tame the complexity of the whole of the Chilean economy. So that, going back to that point, you know, code is law. It's like, where, how does the, the how, where does the democratic element come into play when it comes to where these, how these algorithms... Like, for example, let's take uh, Bitcoin. So you have the infamous Bitcoin white paper, you have the number of coins that were produced, 21 million. You have the decimal places allowed to go. The general architecture is built in, but that was designed by one person. So there has to be a way that the general public can start it's to... It's all consensus-based. Just look at exactly. what happened with the SegWit2, right? So they had people, and please chime in here because I'm not an expert on this, um, but it required X amount of people to agree that it could move forward. Right. And I believe they activated SegWit and then they never rolled it out because they didn't get the consensus from everyone. I think it's going to be the same thing with creating laws and rules. It's just going to be a pure democracy again. It's a consensus. It's a majority based. Sure. And from there, that's how you and, get what it is. And in, <laughs> and in a way, the, the structure of how that decision making can be put on blockchain too, mm -hmm. which influences how the development of other blockchains happen. So it's easy to see how how that can happen. It's just a very different way of thinking. You know what I mean? No one's used to thinking in terms of al algorithmic associations, in terms of how to regulate the political system, the economic system. This is very ambitious and mm -hmm. sci-fi, if you really right. and consider that, it. And that's where we're, we're <laughs> at right now, is the change of thinking. <laughs> right. And it's not happening just yet, and yeah. that's why we're seeing the speculation on the currency, because it's going back to our regular way of thinking and in not to not to change the subject but in our polarized political society now mm -hmm. it's nuts the, how crazy the differences are between people's opinions now there seems mm -hmm. to be a, a divergence of what people agree upon now than ever before which is really counterintuitive you think with all the development of science and technology people would be more honed in on the fundamentals of survival and sustainability and economics but instead you get thwarted it's all thwarted out into this into this uh 
in this constant debate where you go and you see a news broadcast now where you have a guy with like three PhDs who studied something intently, then they bring on Joe Bob from, <laughs> from Missouri, and right. they put these people on the same screen as though they're equivalents in their opinion. And I, I don't mean that to offend Joe Bob, but you know, the point being is that there's the way things have to be decided upon, um, there seems to be a lack of consensus in general. I think what this algorithmic reality can bring is a focus of narrowing the variety, they call it in cybernetics. You, you have to re somehow figure out a way to reduce all the differences. And there has to be a reason for it. So, you know, going back to the human body, the human body doesn't really debate with you in terms of how its homeostasis is maintained. It's a, control, it's a system, and it's based on a fundamental logic as dictated by, of course, evolution and the environment. The same should be said of how we approach, say, our energy resources, how, how we approach managing uh, all of our earthly resources, managing water, water being an extension of you. You need water. You have to have water. Therefore, the management of that should be just as logical as the fact that you have to have it. So it extends this natural causality. So my hope, and I hope this isn't too abstract, is what you'll eventually have is a reduction of all this variety over time where people become, they understand the logic of being sustainable and what's required to have a society that actually works. It becomes built into the algorithm. And therefore, the dispute goes away because you can't argue that you don't need water. Yes, and I think the dispute is a centralization problem. You're talking about Joe Bob versus the pundits. Right. That's a centralization problem in terms of five people own 90% of the media. Sure. So if they're controlling everything that you're hearing and saying, and this is the same with resources. So if you have Nestle tapping our natural water in California that we should be getting for free, that's a centralization problem. And that can take away the dispute once you remove these centralized power structures of ownership yeah. and give it back to the people. And that, again, is why I think the blockchain is so incredible is because of the decentralization. Yeah. In the work that we've done in the movement for years, you're trying to find common ground between pretty much everyone, everyone on the planet. Say, mm -hmm. well, yeah, if you want to have the next generation survive, you have to have certain changes happen now in terms of sustainability, use of resources, efficiency, and so on. Right. And that conversation just still isn't really happening, unfortunately. Like right now, you don't have any kind of technical association. You have the EPA in the United States and the Trump administration. They see everything related to the ecology of our world as infringing upon economic growth. So you, mm -hmm. you can't possibly care about <laughs> climate change because if you did, you'd have to restrict what you're doing in production. You'd have to actually make adjustments that would be unprofitable. And they refuse to do that because all they see is economic growth. So we're hopefully going to have a new paradigm where a whole new level of uh, awareness and then ideally built into the algorithm. It's just fascinating to think yeah. about that. Yeah. Uh, where it, kids learn in, in elementary school about the program that's running their society and why, yes. as opposed to yeah. politics. And, exactly. As the decentralized applications come online, they'll start just making the traditional applications and the way that we run things just kind of naturally crumble. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's inter that's why it's kind of actually nice that blockchain, cryptocurrency, um, blockchain applied to the music industry is appealing to our current values of that money is most important. I think that we'll utilize it. It'll help it be utilized in the mainstream and then the natural values of these new systems will just sort of yeah. bleed into it and become normal. Let's hope. <laughs> I mean, there, there are plenty of people in high positions of power squirming, trying to figure out how to keep their traditions going, mm -hmm. as yeah. is always the case. Um, do you feel much resistance happening and have you experienced, I mean, obviously the cryptocurrency is one phenomenon, but 
like in your work, do you, are you sensing governments that are just confused? Oh, yeah. I mean, what, what's going well, on? Well, there's there's a lot of conversation about it. You know, we, there's reg tech um, events all the time. Reg tech? Reg tech. What's that mean? Re- regulation oh, technology. Yeah, got it. And yeah. so, you know, we go to those because we try and be within compliance. So we try and develop apps that help remain in compliance because we are in that transitory stage right now. So if the regulators just outright deny every app that comes out and they tell their banks or tell their, you know, whoever, whoever's in their jurisdiction, you can't use this, we don't allow it, then it'll never take hold. Yeah. So we're in that intermediary stage now where we need to work within the confines until we change the mindset and we change the behavior of people and how they interact with each other. And I believe then we'll move beyond that. But right now there's um, stagnation yeah. in some in some areas because they don't have the regulators on their side yet. But the regulators want to be on their side. Yeah, there's there's the thing we probably didn't expect, and they want innovation, but they're trying to figure out how to do it uh, without completely dumping everything. Right. You know, so. Except for China, right? They banned. Oh, China, yeah, China is a different story. Which is interesting because aren't they mining a bunch? Of, oh yeah, no, yeah. they, oh, like they have, just like mining they, it, keeping like, it for the state, and the then telling everyone majority. else they can't have any. Yeah, yeah, they're keeping Typical. it for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what What do you think the one major peer to peer or decentralized application that would cause the most disrupt disruption? What do you think that that is right now? What What do you think that would really make people? Besides, stand up and say, "Wow, we just did that!" Like, how is that possible? My my view is, you just take down Google. <laughs> you you create a peer to peer search engine, and that dominates and is able to do all the spidering without all the censorship and everything else. And Google favoritism they've been sued for and everything else in their own industries. But I, I think another big disruptive one is going to be getting our identities back. Mm. You know, that's when, a great one. You know, mm-hmm. right right now when let's I moved twice last year. And everybody knows what a pain it is to move, and you have to change all of that information, your oh, yeah. banking information, your credit cards, right. your, you know, whatever. Had to do that twice. Well, also, you've got all these hacks coming, like the Equifax hack that t- mm-hmm. stole all these people's personal information. Every time that you sign up with something, you're giving your personal identity to that centralized organization. So it's one point of failure. If it gets hacked, they have access to all of that. So what the blockchain is going to do for us, there's apps like Civic that um, will, you you have all of your application on your own personal device. So when somebody needs your, like let's say you go to the doctor, they need your medical records, you give them access to your medical records instead of them having that and, and another, your dental having, having it. And everybody has your information right now and they're selling it. They're having right, it and they're right. selling it, and it's a pull technology right now, so they anybody can pull from it. But yeah. with Civic, I think it's a push technology. You, as a user, are giving permission and Correct. lending out pieces of your identity. Yeah, this is this yeah. is a, we our app is called BlockPass, mm-hmm. and Civic's our competitor. Ah, sorry, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that's okay, it's all right. <laughs> but yeah, that's <clears throat> that's exactly why we made it because there's a real need for people to own their own identity, their own information, and then you can sell your information if you decide to. And you can have control of who has it for how long and how much of the information they have. And it's not ever kept in a centralized database. 
Uh, we don't even keep it as, you know, block pass administrators. Um, we destroy that information. Once we create the blockchain for your information, um, it's destroyed and you, you are the only one who have it on your device. Then th this creates also a larger sense of responsibility for the user hmm. because you lose your phone, you lose your information or you lose your information, it's, it's gone. Um, I'm curious how we're going to address that because that's going to become more of a situation as we move to the blockchain yeah. technology. Right. You're going to be fully responsible for all your money all your right, information, everything. Do you, you think lose that, it, it's gone. I know people who have literally deleted like 15 to 20 Bitcoin at a time on yeah, accident yeah. in exactly. early times just like making transactions. And and no, we, we, we've all heard that story of the people yeah. going through the, 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 land, the landfill yeah. looking for their it's old like, computers oh, no. that are full exactly. of millions of dollars of Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> it seems to me that the, the gravitation is that, well, you're going to go to some kind of information bank that someone Something. will secure, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I mean, clearly you'd have to have so many levels of redundancy in your own personal devices mm -hmm. and be secure enough in case someone did steal your devices and could get into them and so on. Yeah, it's just one of those things. It's just another yeah. one of the growing pains right. that we'll have yeah. to cross over. Right. But the identity is a big one right now. Yeah. It's true. It's, um, it's a trigger for a lot of people who require it and need it but don't want to give away yeah. your personal information. I think yeah. voting will yeah. be another big one too. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. You know, in terms of larger infrastructure, the Internet of Things. Mm -hmm. The Internet yes. of Things is yes. still in its infancy so cool. in terms of our ability to actually monitor what's happening in the world, not in a big brother type of way, but in an efficient way. Mm -hmm. To have a smart city, so to speak, to you know, have sensors in your home that can tell you things that currently there's no possibility for, things that can see what your medical status is in case you've had a heart attack in your home. There's so many amazing potential things out there. And as far as, far as blockchain, and I imagine one of many infrastructures at this point that could assist that. Oh, yeah. You know, that yeah, that is, Internet is, of Things. Yeah. Is, I haven't heard much speculation on that. Maybe you have in terms of the Internet of Things and blockchain. Not speculation. There, There's definitely exploration. Exploration. Yeah, in, in that area. That's actually our next step is we have identity for people now, uh -huh. yeah. but we will have identity for things and devices yeah. in the future. And so that's your devices will know each other um, and will have access to know where to send on their own yeah. and, and so there will be a lot more autonomous behavior yeah. on devices and things. Um, where I also think it's really interesting is in supply chain. It's amazing now yes. what, what the supply chain, they're already doing it and you can know, you know a chicken when it's an egg from where it was, but its entire life Yeah, that's span. amazing. And when you get that piece of chicken, you know everything about it. Assuming the information being input isn't wrong, right? But uh, no, that is that is a phenomenal way to to keep tabs on just about everything that we tend to be suspicious of in in society. I mean, you know, you I was there's a documentary series out there that talked about something as simple as honey. Oh, the vast yes, majority really of honey good. you have is is been it's cut, not, been and you don't know honey. it. You don't <laughs> know it honey. because yeah. they can't track the supply chain. Mm -hmm. Same with a lot of the, the fish and so on. You don't know where any of this stuff is coming from. So that yeah, that exactly. that's definitely a and in terms of creativity, coming back to the idea of consensus-driven development and open source, mm -hmm. this is definitely another channel for blockchain where you can start to sidestep through automated systems, corporate development, where someone in in their hive mind and their peer group that have engineering skills can go online <coughs> and use systems like CAD and computer-aided engineering and basically build your own computer and have it finesse through open source, secured by blockchain, 
and then eventually over time sent to what I think will be ever smaller 3D printing houses where people can develop directly. Community, that, community owned. Yeah. yeah, that's really, really cool. In yeah. fact, there was a company that I had interviewed with back in the day. I really wanted to work for them called Not Impossible. And they were open sourcing all kinds of medical technology. For example, they went to Sudan and they were using open source technology to create prosthetics because apparently people lose their limbs a lot from war and uh, mines and things like that. And so they wanted to make it more affordable for people. And so they could basically 3D print and build themselves yeah. their own prosthetics in a country where people could not have that. And they thought that was so cool to see this open source technology Absolutely. being used for something good where in the U.S. a prosthetic arm may be virtually impossible for people to afford yeah. in yeah. some cases. So I think it's so cool. Yeah, I remember the, the even ge the generics, you know, talking about legally binding things, generic drugs in Africa where in the 90s with the heavy HIV epidemic, in Africa, South Africa specifically, they were trying to make their own generics, yeah. and which is easily done. These weren't complicated <clears throat> medications, and they were just shut down by the White House and uh, the TRIPS agreement and all the trade policies. And they wouldn't let them make their own generics. Just going back to that idea, yeah. I mean, that's obviously private property is a whole other level, uh, which hopefully would be overcome to a fair degree uh, with this type of new system. But I have to admit, I'm, I'm, my, uh, my, my utopian vision is you have <laughs> complete open source. Word. <laughs> well, it, I do that tongue in cheek, of course, because, <laughs> but it's not unfeasible. Is you, your entire process of economics is reduced to blockchain driven or infrastructure that's peer to peer driven, open source in, uh, innovation that is tested digitally as far as it can go, and then is either sent to a testing facility in the sense of a car or it goes straight to production through 3D printing systems. That will eventually be more or less open in, say, downtown. You go downtown into a major center and you have the 3D printing systems that can produce the majority of goods in one contained area. That's where everything in ephemeralization, the more with less, zero marginal cost is moving towards. And that's, if anything, I'd like to get people to think about out there. It's how to make that happen faster uh, than it's <laughs> happening right now. Um, it could be fairly relatively simple to even by the complexity, you know, I think we must have seen the same series where it talks about Rotten. globalized. Yeah, it's really good. And it's stunning to see how much globalization, what it does in terms of just moving so much, the complexity of it is... And the corruption. Corruption it's is so easy to corrupt Yeah, absolutely. Uh, none of that needs to be ne is, is necessary anymore. You can have localization mm -hmm. with all of these systems. You still have a global dynamic, you know, people can, you could be building a computer online with your friend in Taiwan. And then it all manifests together with far more innovation, by the way. And I think we've seen similar studies in terms of open source versus versus uh, proprietary knowledge. And there's no, it's hands down in most cases. There are certain specialized areas, medicine and so on, that takes such rigorous hands-on work that you can't just do it virtually. But virtually everything else in the technology realm can be innovated through the group mind online. And you again, you sidestep all of that uh, power and slowness that really comes from proprietary development. I have no doubt that you know the kind of things that we see on a, on a cell phone today that which we think are innovative in their pacing would exponentially increase to the point where it, it makes it that much more beneficial in the sense of anticipating the next level of development too. Because what happened with Apple with slowing down their phones mm. uh, with their software is they stated that it was a, a necessity to save battery flaws or flaws that came from their battery but they could easily have anticipated that could they not 
and they could compensate for that directly as opposed to making a, a workaround that clearly worked in their favor commercially. So anyway, I'm rambling already. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. It, it's great to see this kind of potential happen. To me, as I asked the question earlier, what would be the next big thing? It would be the development of a platform that enables people to begin to contribute and design actual goods yes. online through CAD systems built in, uh, which they already exist. You know, you, they, people do this kind of sharing all the time, but yeah. bring it to that next level where it says, we are the new industry. We're not interested in corporate America anymore. And then the same thing happens, of course, in the political realm. GitHub being more popular than Walmart would be amazing. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think that, uh, you know, we, we've all given examples of what we think the next big thing might be. But really, I don't think that anybody out there has thought of the next big thing. It's like the Internet, you know, no one knew how far it could go. Yeah. yeah. And this probably sets up a new level, the Internet, really. Yeah, Block, blockchain yeah, is absolutely. Absolutely. a whole yes. new infrastructure. And I think the next big thing will require multiple parties to participate in order for it to be a thing. Just like the internet couldn't be the internet with one person. They needed multiple nodes for it to be the internet. It'll right? be ingredients <laughs> of it, everything that yeah, we've talked about. The, the collective will be part mm -hmm. of that. It, it can't exist without a collective as part of it. And right. I don't think we're there yet ideologically um but we will be once we get through these change of mindsets yeah. that we're going through and then we'll be able to you know the clouds were clear yeah we'll be able to see <laughs> oh this is what we're capable of but i don't even think we're able to see what we're capable of yet yeah and we're beginning to learn but we're we're faltering a little bit on like regulation and compliance and these things that think that are keeping us in that old mindset and once we break free of that mindset we'll be able to see new opportunities and possibilities that we just can't even imagine right now Definitely. yeah we're in a revolution of innovation right now and i think mm -hmm. that is the most important thing because yeah we don't know what the next big thing is necessarily but and that i'm sorry oh i i just wonder if blockchain will be able to help implement universal basic income in some way i did read someone mm -hmm. say the distribution so. could actually assist that secure the distribution of it that would be a next big thing, mm -hmm. yeah. universal, and income, followed yes. by a resource-based economy. That yeah. will be the next big <laughs> that thing. Will right. Be yeah. Mean. <laughs> <laughs> I see lots of people doing decentralized applications, some people pitching new servers for, you know, sharing, well, making basically a new level of internet, but nothing that goes the full length, even in principle. Right. You know, you go back to the cypherpunks and and the, you can see these uh, documentaries on these guys and, and, and girls uh, in the 90s, and they're covered in <laughs> They've got the big stockings <laughs> over their head. They're so it's juvenilely cute. Yeah, um, comical, yeah. <laughs> but still, what they have, what the, the touched upon in that, and you, and you see this carried over to things like the show uh, Master Robot. No, Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the, the the gesture is there, uh, and I think it's it's poetically sound. But uh, I can't wait to see the next uh, the next stage of this. I want to definitely encourage people to look into the work of Stafford Stafford Beer. And is anybody here familiar with, with cybernetics at all? I'm kind of surprised. They've been I around for decades. I am only because you sent it to me, but mm. I have to yeah. be really honest. It's so complicated that I got really bored and just kind of didn't really I think understand. the video I sent you well, was it, actually very No, but I too, went but... on my own to try to research it, and oh. I was like, I don't get it. It's too complicated. Well, there, there, is, there is a paper that I, I definitely recommend, and I can hold it up here and see if it can be noticed here. It's called The Will of the People by Stafford Beer. And he basically outlines in this beautiful white paper uh, what it means to have a new kind of democratic organization run in a cybernetic system. 
and he poses it in such great, in such great uh, simplistic terms about the failures, for example, of what happened in the USSR. So you had a bureaucracy where people had this terrible uh, gravity and weight and, and distribution of obligation that was completely inefficient. And going back to Chile uh, with Allende, when he tried to put together Cybersyn, uh, his observation was you can't have this kind of bureaucracy. You have to have decentralization. You have to have a requisite variety, they call it, which simply means you're taking into account different opinions. It's a, kind of a hidden gem of history that uh, that I think everyone should look into, especially if you're interested in blockchain, because it's or anything that's related to networking of, of efficiency, whether it's the Internet of Things and so on. These guys in the cybernetic community were doing this 50, 60 years ago uh, with the same general logic. It's been really inspiring, I think, across the board to think about systems as being interconnected but autonomous and able to take on their own life and give fruit in a way. That, like, I, For example, going back to the creative interests of open source, if you just had that infrastructure, you can't even imagine the outburst of creativity right, exactly. and innovation because you've just opened exactly. the floodgates on people being able to think. And if the good thought comes forward, other people will gravitate towards it, and then suddenly the revolutionaries just come out of nowhere as opposed to what we see today, which very few people that have revolutionary thoughts make it to a point where they're, you know, going to have the influence. True. Uh, it's like a, it's a shot in the dark when you get any kind of genius in the world because there's no real way for them to get to the point that's required. The loss of genius out there is yeah. sad. They're yeah. Tragic. They don't have access. They yeah. don't have access to the resources. These guys were well ahead of their time, clearly. They still do conferences mm -hmm. in Europe. I, I might attend one. Uh, I, I, Kind of, I mean, I've, I've researched it for years, but I never really realized that they were still around. And yeah. it's not even a fringe thing. It's it's very mathematically management-driven. Yeah. They often end up working in the corporate establishment because they're talking about how to engineer systems to be most efficient within a corporate structure. That's what Stafford Beer actually did. That's how he made his living. Um, but I, you go back to Chile and CyberSign, uh, and you'll get a whole new world of what's possible, even in the 1970s, in terms of efficient management of a society. So this is the beginning of something really different that yeah. the world has never seen. It's, we just have nothing to go on from previous years. It's brand new. Yeah. And that is very exciting. I imagine in your world, the number of startups are in just spreading like crazy. It's so phenomenal. Yeah. But, but there's to going to be a lot of fall off on that because, because of the money aspect. Yeah. You're seeing a lot of just people with ideas yeah. and white papers. Yeah. and saying they're going to develop this, I mean, the ICO craze right now sure. is even bigger than, you know, Bitcoin. And um, you're going to see most of those go away because they're not going to be able to execute. Yeah. But um, the real winners will come up on top, you know, ones who have killer apps and can really give us value. Yeah. And we'll start to see some really revolutionary things come out. I hope so. Yeah. Almost like a meritocracy. Regina, <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> had anything to close with? I'm just so glad to be, even be having this conversation. I know. And yeah. because I've been trying to talk about this for seven years now, and most people just, it was so new that people didn't understand it. And I was trying to understand it. And then you read things on the news and you see all these negative articles about people talking about these technologies when they really don't even know what they're talking about. They're just basing it off of what some other guy wrote that was negative. And so now to see panels coming together like this and talking to people and people can now listen to this and learn something. And, you know, we're not experts. We're just having a conversation and right. we want to share the knowledge with people. And I think that's 
really awesome. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been talking to pip people about Bitcoin and blockchain for a number of years now, and now people are calling me going, hey, do you know how I buy Ripple? Exactly. <laughs> they like, call all the time, yeah. Do you have Bitcoin? No. It goes to show that you, no matter how smart you are, you can't predict what's coming. Mm -mm. No. I mean, there are certain no. bit overarching yeah, technology with smaller, more efficient, so and so on and so forth. Ethereal, you know, ethereal. ethereal? <laughs> <laughs> ephemeral ephemeral, ephemeral. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> same thing yeah. uh and but how it happens and yeah. I, I could see 100 years from now where the society is so differently organized that people today would have absolutely no comprehension yeah. just like many here 100 years from before though i think the past 25,000 years have been excuse me 12,000 years have been very much centric on dominance control patterns and companies and groupism and nations and so on we may be at a different level now um, if, if this kind of thing moves forward where a completely new revolution occurs. I look just forward as important. to that. Yeah. Absolutely. I look forward to when it's just a global community rather than exactly. nation against nation. We yeah. need a, we need a new Neolithic revolution. Mm -hmm. It'll yes. be amusing to revisit this podcast 10 years down the road yeah. And, yeah. and see how laughable it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, when we're all wrong about everything. Yeah. <laughs> Trump <laughs> is still president. Oh, God. <laughs> he's he's robot the Trump. system. <laughs> he's been got cloned. AI, uh, <laughs> turned into American monarchy where he just rules forever. <laughs> That would be a great dystopian future. Right. Idiocracy. Oh. Yeah, idiocracy. Oh, it's getting close, isn't it? Yeah, it's happening. All right, well, that wraps it up. Thank you all for joining us today. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks, I think, for another one of these. We'll keep it on pace. And thank you, Jeanette, Vegeta, Summer, Jordette. Great to be here. Appreciate it. Thank you all so all right. much. Yeah. Thank you.